Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This highly practical podcast series explores HR and management hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life people professionals. Brought to you by Actors Software, our aim is to build a better workplace for people. The HR Uprising is about collaborating and supporting each other to build the confidence and skills to rise up to each challenge and deliver real, lasting business value. You can find out more at hruprising.com or join our LinkedIn community. Now introducing your host, chartered psychologist, best-selling author, entrepreneur and speaker, Lucinda Carney. Well, here we are. It is the 100th episode of the HR Uprising podcast. And if you've been listening from the start, thank you so much for doing so. I feel really honoured to have got such a, a loyal following and I've made a difference from the comments that I've had from many of you that many people have got real value out of the episodes that we've put out there and I hope we'll continue to do so. I guess that's the beauty of a podcast is the content is out there for us to draw on. And actually, if you are newer to this, maybe look back on the back catalogue. You can see it all on the HR Uprising um, podcast library, hruprising.com. We've had some brilliant episodes, um, things on interview, in how to interview others, how to be interviewed, um, five dysfunctions of a team. If you're setting up a new team, how you can manage that. Imposter complex. That was an incredibly popular um, episode. And there's lots of really practical content and great thought leadership from the guests that we've had on here. And I guess I feel like we've achieved a, a little personal ambition with the guest that I have this week. Many of you will know of this gentleman as most the the grandparent of HR business partnering. He is one of the most established, influential um, speakers and authors on HR. And this gentleman that I've got with me this week is none other than Dave Ulrich. Can I say he was a delight to speak to, such a human. One of the things about us getting the best out of others during these difficult times is being human first. And my goodness, that is so what he does and is. We spoke about his family and we spoke about having lost parents and just had it straight away went into a really lovely, genuine personal conversation. And I felt really close and I thought what an amazing skill set that is to be able to connect with people. So not only is Dave a real guru, he's also somebody who's very, very genuine, um, has that real people presence and has so much value to bring. So I loved the conversation with him. I hope you'll get a lot out of it. And I just want to thank everybody for tuning into the HR Uprising podcast. Hello and welcome to this week's HR Uprising podcast. I'm your host, Lucinda Carney, and I'm tremendously excited and honoured to introduce the guest that I have, and I'm a little bit starstruck because uh, this is a person who has shaped the HR profession, known as the father of modern HR. And when I contacted him through LinkedIn, I was really tremendously um, honoured that he agreed to come on and come on the 100th episode of the HR Uprising. So I think some of you, I've tried not to tell people about this special guest to surprise everybody, but I think um, everybody will have heard of this person who uh, in many ways known as the, the uh, 
uh, came up with the original HR business partner model um, that some pe most people love, although I know there are some people who criticize it, um, and is just is a prolific author and thought leader in the space of HR. So of course, who have I got on? I've got Dave Ulrich. Dave, welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. Lucinda, thank you so much. What a, what a privilege to join you. And it's really cool to be the 100th episode. I know. Um, who, I, who I think, think that's it? cool. And I know we're debating this may be video or it may be audio. If it's video, you're not only starstruck, you're wearing stars. I know. Uh, well, we, we let's on that we're recording this before Christmas. I think it's not too festive. Um, it's chilly. We're recording this in December, aren't we? Just uh, just been catching up. But uh, yes, the episode's going to go out in January. And I'm quite surprised, really, we've got as far as 100 episodes. I wasn't sure that I'd go this far. Um, but I always felt that if I was still adding value, then we would continue to, to do it. Um, so how far we go from here, I don't know. But I may have peaked at this point. So uh, I'm really, really grateful to you for come on, coming on, Dave. I'm delighted. And thank you. I, uh, if this is video, uh, welcome to my office. Uh, if you see me stargazing, we have a, we live in a, in a grove of trees and a deer just walked by. So, uh, welcome if, to the got world deer coming of, out of your window. Have you looking in that direction? We have deer, and you may see from this window, you may see in a few minutes, a deer walk by. So, uh, oh, that's a, oh my goodness. There's a little tiny fawn. Uh, oh, the deer is right here. I, anyway, I won't bore your <laughs> listeners with that. That's not our issue, but welcome to my office. I think uh, we see social distancing because we're all working at home around the world. But on the other hand, we get to know each other in a more intimate way. I get to look behind on your left shoulder, a picture of family and friends yep. and your father. You get to look behind with pictures of mentors for me. And, uh, and I think that's actually a delightful thing that we get to know each other in a, in a more intimate way in some ways. Even yeah, because we're seeing in people's houses and lives, aren't we? I mean, that's that we got straight into it, didn't we? Had a little conversation about um, our, our offices and our, our lives and our families, and, and became really far more intimate than you'd expect, really, from at the distance and meeting people in this yeah, in this way. I, I mean, people say it's great to be, in, and it is great to be in person. And oh, I miss that being with an audience and connecting and talking. But there's another form of connection, which is peaking. Peak is the word, I guess, or glancing into your life. I love the. Sh the picture behind you that you showed me a picture of you and your, your dear sweet father, and I'm going to make you cry. Those memories, those memories, I think bring, bring us and recognize our humanity, even though we're, uh, even though we're quite different. So and that's a, a great link as well, though, because I was thinking that's one of the things that um, this year has been all about or 2020 last year, when this goes out has been for me about re, re embracing our humanity um, for people managers have needed to get to know people as individuals. HR professionals have been trying to get that balance between, um, you know, enforcing the law, but also looking after people's well-being. So actually being human rather than transactional, it feels like if we've done it well in 2020, that has been quite a key aspect to it. And by having this insight into people's homes, um, you know, it's made it unavoidable to accept that we've all got lives and, uh, you know, we've got a whole life rather than just you yeah. know, our work lives. I, I enjoy that. And I think uh, in 2008 and nine, it was the economic crisis. It was the over debt, over capitalization and economic. I think the global pandemic, the social strife that we have seen in America and in Europe with refugees and Brexit, the political squabbles in the United States more than Europe, unfortunately, of 2020, the economic turmoil and incredibly emotional malaise as we've separated from each other in so many ways. 
this is the people crisis. This is the, uh, the set of crises. And, and the financial crisis, we got more discipline around access to capital and managing debt and managing our, our economics. I think this is 2020, the year that is in the background for most of us. And we hope 21 is a better year uh, for many of us. I think is the people and organizational crisis. And this is a time when the HR issues become so paramount in all companies, big and small, government and private. Absolutely. I mean, I've had a number of people sort of in consultancy say actually HR is pivotal to, to helping us move through this, I guess. I mean, and what would you say, do you see, we've gone in on the link of people first, is there anything that you see HR should embrace particularly in 2021 to support yeah. businesses? I'm going to suggest three things real quick, and I want to be very concrete. One is a mental assumption. And I love what you just said, people first. Uh, there's a quote out there and uh, somebody said, Dave Alvord said, our people are our most important asset. Well, let me first of all say that's stupid. Everybody who's listening to this call has said, our people are our most important asset. And I think it's a false assumption. Our people are our customers' most important asset. And so one of the things that I hope we get coming out of this crisis is our people matter. Nobody discounts that. And I'll talk about that with number two and three. But when our customers are going through dramatic change, they can't leave their home. So we're going to have to have a digital strategy. How do we get people so that our customers are successful? And so one of the things I love our HR folks to talk about in a concrete way, are we hiring, training, paying against what our, peop our customers would expect from us? So if we're hiring someone, do they have the skills our customers need? When we're training someone, do they have the skills our customers need? When we're paying someone, will our pay reflect customers? So that's a mental model, but it's an assumption. Our people are our customers. Number two, um, I think the issue of personalization is so critical. The, we were talking and I've chatted with many people. This COVID crisis has affected everyone differently. We live in a house with my wife and I who are older, so we're at risk. But we live in a nice house. We have, you know, the, the world is not ended. Our children have children at home. They're having to homeschool. Others have lost jobs. Others have had folks affected. I think one of the changes is we're going to have to personalize the relationship at two levels. And this is the second point. I think we have to lead with empathy, emotion, experience. I think we have to lead by caring about the person. So when somebody comes back into a formal work setting or we connect with somebody at work, the first goal is, what are you, what's your goal today? What are you trying to accomplish? The first is, how are you? What's been happening to you? How are you dealing with your 14-year-old son, your 17-year-old daughter? That's a hypothetical. How are you managing your aging parent to protect your mom? I have a mom who's 92. And uh, what are you doing with her? I think this era of emotion and empathy and, and affect is so critical. So number one, our people are our customers' most important asset. Number two, empathy, emotion. Feel that. Let people know that we do care. Number three, redefine work. Work is not a place. I think we used to say, I get up in the morning, I take the train into London or wherever I'm working. I'm at work. I'm at my desk. I interact with people, then I go home. I think the place is almost irrelevant. I can be working in my office and welcome. You can be in an office. We could be in a coffee shop. We could be in a remote site. We could be in a home office. But there still is a boundary. And the boundary of work 
is that we create value for a customer. So as you talk to your employees, wherever they're working, show empathy. How are you today? I hope you're well. What are you doing today that will help our customers have a better experience? And if they don't have an answer, I think our job is to have some accountability. How could I help you do that? Because my work is not just getting through activities. It's activities so that our customers get value. So three very simple tips. Change my assumption. Our people are customers' asset. Number two, show empathy, care, listening, ask questions. Really use this as an opportunity to connect at a more personal level. And number three, create a boundary of work around creating value for customers. There is an accountability, and we should hold ourselves up to it. Did I do something today that will help my customers or investors or the community have a better experience? Those are three tips for where I think we're headed. Thank you for that. And I really like the fact they're structured and you can have retain, on, retain them there. Um, I suppose there's a couple of things I might um, explore. I've got two things. I've had to write them down so I don't go off on a tangent and forget them. Um, so in terms of your uh, the cult, this whole idea of talking about being closer to the customer, that's probably a bit different. I've heard about HR being more strategic um, and maybe that perhaps in the business model being more of a strategic model. Is this the customer piece about your outside in model that you're saying that we should be? Yeah. Is it about being more commercial? Do you want to t tell us a little bit more about that? Great question. You know, I think uh, almost everyone I know in HR wants to be effective. I mean, if, if you're in HR and you don't want to be effective, then get out of HR, go into finance. No, that was a joke. I don't mean <laughs> that about finance. Uh, so how do we be effective? Well, you learn a good practice. You do a best practice. I think we then moved in our field to saying we do a practice that helps us deliver strategy. Our strategy is to grow in another market, to, to be more digital, whatever the strategy is. Our view is the next step in that evolution of being more effective is to look outside the company. Strate think of strategy as a mirror. Here's the mirror. In that mirror, I'm going to do things that help you look better. Deliver our digital strategy by hiring people. Deliver our customer-centric strategy by inviting customers. Now I look not at a mirror, but at a window. <laughs> look at my office. I look out the window and I see these gorgeous deer wandering by. And, and you say, when I go to a meeting as an HR person, I don't want to just say, I'll make the strategy happen. I want to say, who are my customers? Who are my investors? What's the community where we live and work? And bring HR to that audience. So we don't want to just be the employer of choice. That's a specific thing. That's a great idea. We want to be the employer of choice of employees our customers would choose. I know you've done great work at Siemens and Pfizer in L&D. So you look at all the great training programs that we've offered. Are those training programs giving customers a better experience in our company? It's funny you go there because I was just sorry, I was just going to ask about because it, it, this then goes to your metrics, doesn't it? Is how do you show your impact? And that's possibly why, uh, you know, when I was at Siemens, that's when employee engagement was a buzzword and was quite new. And one of the reasons that I liked that at the time, although I think maybe it's overdone, was the fact that in principle, employee engagement was supposed to impact customer engagement. So you could see a link. I realize there's, there's tenuousness in terms of that, but that, that was, the, it was how can we influence it because it's not always direct. But are you saying we should know more um, as an internal HR, we should get closer to the customers, we should really know the you know, it's almost our customers' customers because we've got our internal customers, but then know those as well? Absolutely. Uh, let me give an example since you mentioned engagement. About six weeks ago, I had 
a meal with, and I was able to actually go to a restaurant. So, uh, which may be one of the problems in the U.S. in the year 2020 that we were doing that. And um, with a, a couple of folks, and I won't name any more about them, they were so excited. They had put employee engagement onto an app. And you can see the timing and all that stuff here. And, and it would track stuff. It would measure stuff. It would do word processing. And it would give you a score about the employee engagement. They were so excited. They spent 20 minutes going through their digital and technology and at the end, they looked at me hoping for validation and said, what do you think? And I said, why should I care? And they, what do you mean? And I said, you've just given me 20 minutes that I'm convinced you've got a great app. But why should I care? And they said, because it's great. It measures well-being. It measures engagement. So what? And they looked and said, I don't understand. And I said, when an HR person meets with a business leader, the first question is not, hey, I can measure employee engagement. The first question is, what are you worried about? What are the metrics that you care about? Are you worried about customer engagement, net promoter score, revenue per customer? Absolutely. Are you worried about cost of capital, either your stock price to going up or the debt you have to, how much you have to pay to borrow money? Yeah, I'm worried about that. Would you like a way to help you make that happen better? Yeah. That's why we do employee engagement. Employee engagement is not about the employee. It's about the engagement so that we can succeed with that customer. I got to be honest, they didn't get it. Yeah. So I, I paid for their lunch. I was generous and, and I wish them well. But that's where I hope if you're an HR person in a small company, when you sit down with your business leader, don't say, I have a solution. Say, I have a question. What do you care about? What are the issues that are on your scorecard and how can I help you make them happen? And that is a great link as well, because I think one of the, the things is people don't always feel confident as to how they can demonstrate business value or demonstrate being strategic. But actually, it is about just asking questions and listening and understanding someone else's point of view and understanding sufficient of the business and then thinking about how you can influence that. And I said, that's where the engagement piece is. What's, what can you influence that's related to people, that's related to your area, if you're in HR or learning and development, that may influence it? <clears throat> I mean, other things that spring to mind might be things like recruiting key skills or developing key skills. Are there any other um, metrics that you're aware of or, or anything that do you see that might change or um yeah, are there, I, I don't. Is there anything else? Yeah. Is what's the next employee engagement, or is that it? You know, they, they, what else no, is I, out there that um, people could use as decent metrics that are convincing enough to those people who are in finance, who hold the purse strings, that they might think, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll invest in that because I can see the link to customers and revenue. The answer is yes, and I could just do so much on that. There's two things I want to answer. And if not now, I'll talk about metrics now, but I want to come back to that issue of confidence because yeah, I think right. we in HR are often our own worst enemy around confidence. Um, we have spent, and, and I, this is our gift to the world. Uh, we have spent the last year and a half, almost two years now, building what we call a guidance system. In metrics, what we've done in HR is we started with scorecards and dashboards. I did a book, The HR Scorecard. Then you have a dashboard. You know, the problem with those is they both look back. You yeah. know, you're on a scorecard. That's what we did. You have a dashboard. Then we got into insights. I'm getting inundated in 2020 with insights. People who work at home, by the way, one came out 
and it's it's gender specific, but mothers who work at home with children doing homeschooling have a more difficult time. And by the way, I got to be honest, that's a resounding duh for me. I mean, <laughs> yeah. how long does it take to figure out, especially those that live in small apartments? Yeah. Uh, geez, you know, tell me something really useful. Mm. Um, so when you were study, saying insights, these are business insights from the metrics. Business so it's, insights it's with term, metrics. Right? Yeah. You get a metric, you go do statistics in the cloud. I think we got to move to another level, which is not about describing what's going on, but prescribing. So here's what I'd love to help HR people do as we go forward. I call it guidance. We call it guidance. You sit down with a business leader and you say, you're worried about employee well-being, no question, and productivity. You're also worried about strategy. Do we have the right digital strategy or position? You're worried about your customers, your net promoter score, your revenue per customer. You're worried about your financial results, EBITDA, intangibles. And you're obviously worried today about your social citizenship. We live in a social world. Would you like to have a way to make those happen? And every business leader I know goes, yeah. There's four things I in HR can provide you. So think for just a minute with me, and this is going to get a little complex. Five columns, employee, strategy, customer, investor, and social. You can invest in talent to make that happen. Hire the right people, train the right people, pay the right people. You can invest in the organization to make it happen, build a culture, build a system, create agility, innovation. You can invest in leadership and you can invest in HR. So think about five columns by four rows. That's 20 cells. Where should you invest in 2021? Where should you invest? What a great question. We, got, we take that to business leaders and say, where should you invest in the next 12 months to make those outcomes happen? Is it talent? Is it leadership? Is it organization? Is it HR? And they're all going, that's a great question. What, and I'm almost done, by the way. You've made I'm a mistake. I'm just wondering what the answer is, to be perfectly honest. I'm... Well, that, the answer is not a, a, a fixed answer. You made a mistake. The... When, whenever uh, you talk to somebody doing their PhD dissertation, never ask them what it's about because they'll tell you too much. <laughs> this is my equivalent of my latest PhD. So you got 20 cells. Where should you invest? RBL.ai. RBL.ai. We've created what we call a guidance system. Take a survey. It takes 12 minutes to 15 minutes in each of those pathways. And it will tell you where should you invest to make those outcomes happen. So I think diagnose that's your method. pains, basically, and then it will layer in where to put the effort. That's it. Of that's, it. It. that's it. And we put that into a little survey. No, I, I was just going to say you'd need to survey it to work out how to get there. And, and I, I see that lots of it is about, it will depend, absolutely. And then I, when I've been thinking about though, the overall theme of where people are feeling pains in the audience that I'm out, if I said a year ago, it may have felt more like talent, all about talent retention. But now so many people have lost their jobs, to be perfectly honest. It's maybe more about I'm going to leadership or well-being, people making sure that people are being given the support. We started that conversation about how are you having that human people-centric piece, um, yeah. making sure that we've got that culture and behavior there. But that's obviously generalizing. And the key is it will vary on that organization. It'll vary by, by and organization. And, and, and so we've tried to put together this thing called organization guidance system, OGS, guidance system. Take a survey and say, yeah. My business leader is really worried this year about strategic shift. We're moving from uh, product to service. We're moving to a more digital business. So which of those four rows do I need to go focus on? Is it talent? Is it organization? Is it leadership? Or is it something in my HR department?
I'm not sure our answer is perfect, but that's the direction I hope in HR we can go. Uh, that we're not just randomly saying, go do this stuff. Why? Because it was on Lucinda's podcast. Now, I got to be honest. It isn't because it's on your podcast. It's because it creates value for my business. Exactly. And that's where I'm headed. And also, so we'll put the link, by the way, to your that your metric there in, in the show notes, people. It's rbl.ai. The... Um, it's also about being data-driven, though, this whole piece about being much more evidence-based. So if we're trying to make these decisions rather than going, actually, let's go and do whatever the personality tool is because my mates just told me about it and I quite like it and I think it might work, we're actually doing some diagnosis into our organisation to understand where we want to put our energy. And that is going to be more credible in its own right. Because I suppose, And actually, that links onto where you wanted to go with confidence with confidence and also um for those listening i've got my my best friend listens and says lucinda sometimes you say you've got two things and you say one and you don't finish the other so if just for anyone who is that kind of person the other one i was going to ask related to your three points earlier your people first ones through and redefining work was actually how do people do it in practice how the practicalities and in terms of confidence and you wanted to talk about uh, confidence so maybe we can link that together there in terms of how people can feel more confident I certainly think if you've got the data and you've asked questions then you should feel that you can make confident suggestions absolutely you already alluded to it Uh, let me ask you and this is always fun to shift the gears a little bit. When you did work at Siemens or Pfizer or elsewhere, have you ever, or this assignment, have you ever had an assignment where you didn't feel fully qualified? I think every time I always talk about the imposter yeah, complex. I, I remember someone I, saying, let's ask the training expert. And I went, ooh, I'm the expert. But it's all relative. Uh, of course we have. <laughs> so how, how do you deal with that? I, by the way, I've had so many of those. I've had so many of those from the time I was 22 years old doing studies at college. How do you how do you walk into a situation where you feel like you're not fully qualified? What what have you learned? And then I'll share some observations. I think exactly as you sort of said, I would just go and really try and understand what the problem is. And I would just understand um, what the situation is, what's the environment, what's important to that person. It's kind of a sales process, I suppose, in, in such that you're understanding the need. And then I would in my head, I work, I'd be naturally trying to, I think I do naturally make connections, but I would be trying to think, well, what, what, do, what people stuff might affect that need? And I might say, would this impact it or would that impact? And I'd discuss it. So I would say it's a bit about application of common sense, but it's a result of listening and making connections between business problems and people influencers. That would be what I'd do. My answer now is amen. <laughs> I mean, it's just, yeah. and, and let's dissect what you did. So if I'm an HR person and my business has said, we need to move from a, a product strategy to a subscription service strategy, or we need to move more to a digital strategy, or we're losing customers or our innovation cycle time is too long. What do I do? I go into the meeting and I start out, I listen hard. Do I understand what the business is? I do have to know the financial numbers. The language of business is finance. So I got to go learn 20 terms. What is EBITDA? What is net cash flow? By the way, if you're an HR person, you can't learn 20 finance terms. That's a problem. It's not 100. You don't have to be a CFO. Go learn 20 firms. You just need to and, know whether you influence them or not, right? Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, uh, more well, EBITDA is good. So are you going to increase in EBITDA? You, you yeah, don't have well, to be able to and, define and, it. And, <laughs> well, and, and my very concrete uh, suggestion, take a finance person to lunch. They're probably open to having lunch when the, when the crisis is over. Take your company's business report. If it's publicly traded, you do an annual report, you have an income statement, you have a, by the way, this is what I did. I'm mm-hmm. not trained in business. 
and I sat down with a finance person and said, what does this line mean? What does this line mean? What ratios do you look at and why? And within a couple of hours, I didn't have to go do a course. I got a basic sense of what the numbers are. So be comfortable in the language of business. Now you're in the meeting, listen and start asking questions. What is our business going to focus on? What are our challenges going forward? And then in your head, have an answer. There's four, three things HR will deliver to that problem. Talent. I'm going to show my fingers if you're showing this video. <laughs> Organization, my fist, and leadership, the combination. So when I sit in me, I love simplicity. My PhD is uh, taxonomy. It's about simplicity. For 30 years, I've oversimplified the world. We're trying to move from a product business to a subscription business. What does that mean for talent? What does that mean for organization, culture, systems? What does that mean for leadership? We're trying to do business in Africa. We're trying to expand our markets. What does that mean for talent, organization, and leadership? We're trying to increase our innovation cycle, uh, shorten our innovation cycle time, get new products out quicker. What does that mean for talent? What does that mean for organization? What does that mean for leadership? I think our confidence comes not that we have answers, but that we can ask questions that move the discussion forward. And that's what you just did in your brilliant answer is you said, I sit down, I listen, I understand some of the basics, and then I ask questions and then I give recommendations. So in talent, if we're in HR, we know how to find talent, how to pay talent, how to train. If that's the issue, we can help you with that. Yeah. But I love that confidence comes from good experiences. And also, one of the things I think is quite relevant is not feeling that you have to be an expert. I think it's actually fine to ask a question about it. If you say, okay, so are you saying that, for example, with your subscription model, so is recurring revenue significant? Why is, you might say, why is recurring revenue more important to us as a business? Why do we want people who can do that? And the finance person would say, because it increases our multiple. There would be, and you go, oh, I get that. So what does that mean for the sort of people you need me to bring in or, or their skills or whatever that is? So I think people perhaps are scared of looking stupid but you can ask a question as long as you've shown you've listened you don't actually have to automatically know why maybe that's the other thing because the people around the table if you're at the board they don't think they don't necessarily know what a talent management strategy is they don't know the ins and outs of L&D or HR so we're experts in our own right there so it's okay for us to ask questions of those around the table you know the I love asking questions and I, I love to put the three where I'm coaching a, a very, very good business executive right now. I won't name the company or the person, obviously. And I gave that person I'm coaching three words. Help me understand. Help me understand. Help me understand what it's going to take to make recurring revenue happen. Help me understand what it's going to take to increase our multiple. Help me understand what it's going to take to shorten our cycle time to get new products out. Help me understand the barriers to doing business in Africa. And that help me understand, I don't think makes us weaker. No. I think it makes us stronger. And then one of the, I could tell stories about this. Uh, well, let me anchor it in a quick anecdote. I, uh, when I was much younger, uh, I got invited into a meeting with people, faculty, about 60 faculty who were teaching at General Electric. At the time, General Electric was the iconic training and development. Uh, they claim much better than Siemens and Siemens claim much better than General Electric. Yeah. Ask competitors, yeah. And the, uh, and the chairman named Jack Welch, and most people have heard of Jack Welch, one of the greatest business executives, invited 60 faculty, and I'll do this, I'll shorten the story, 
to teach us what we should be teaching others, which is actually a pretty clever move. He said, you're my ambassadors, but I want you to use my message. And he said, I want to create a new liberated organization. I want number one or two in market. I want profitability. Now liberate my people. And he said, run a two-day workshop to liberate 230,000 people. Now context, in that room, I was the youngest faculty. I was in my early 30s. These were Harvard and Stanford and London Business School, full professors. I raised my hand. I said, Mr. Welch, that's just stupid. If you want to waste $20 million, buy an airplane and fly around. But don't do this. It's going to be a bad idea. And he disagreed. And we had an argument for 20 minutes. By the way, we took a break. All of these older faculty looked at me and said, who are you? Uh, I'll never see you again. You're obviously <laughs> Jack Welch is going to fire you. Career limiting and- move, yeah. Yeah, this was a career limiting move, you stupid fool. No wonder you're teaching at a state school, not at Harvard. And I just felt horrible. I got a call an hour later and his office said, Mr. Welch wants to meet with you tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. What would you do? Now my phone's ringing. I'm sorry, that shows that we're live. That's not Jack Welch, is it? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Pretend that somebody just brought food into our conference room. Um, But but he said, that isn't Mr. By the way, if that was Mr. Welch, he's tragically passed away, I would take the call because I want to know what he's doing. Yeah, from the past, yeah. From the future. But but he said, meet me at seven. And I said, no. By the way, this is the confidence insight. I don't know exactly what to do, but give me 24 or 48 hours to give you a good answer. And he said, I respect that. I think I took 48. By the way, in that 48 hours, I canceled all work. <laughs> I uh, called all my friends and said, what would you do? What would you do? That was one of the antecedents of the GE program called Workout and Six Sigma. Is is if you ever remember what Welch did 25 years ago, 30 years over 30 years ago. But was he six? Con- was he the, Was that where Six Sigma came from? I've heard of Six Sigma, uh, but Six Sigma was a program he adopted inside yeah. GE. So they did a lot of stuff. But notice the issue. I push with respect. I mean, mm. in public. Then when he said, "Dave, I want to meet with you and get your ideas." I didn't immediately respond because I said, I don't want to just give you something I've thought about for four or five hours. I want to give you a worthy response, worthy of your time, Mr. Welch. And he said, I I, I respect that. And then I worked like mad (laughs) to come up with some ideas. And then I went in and asked questions. What do you think? How would you do this? What if, what if? I hope as HR people, we don't fall prey that the only way we have confidence is we have a silver bullet. We're going to solve your Mm -hmm. problems. No, we don't have silver bullets. We have questions, we have ideas, and we can access networks. I'll bet if somebody on this call said, Lucinda, I've been asked to put together a learning and development center in my company. Could you spend 15 or 20 minutes with me? What have you learned from Siemens and Pfizer and 100 podcasts, congratulations, that may be some things I think about? I'm assuming you would say yes, even if that person was partly stranger. Uh, Yeah. But it's yeah. just interesting. You'd have to ask a whole load of questions before uh, before you could see if it was right. It's, it's funny you say that. So someone just reached out to me and said, could you, um, I'm interested in putting in a mentoring program into our business. And I, I realized that I needed to understand almost that whole OD context to see if it actually would be the right thing to for them oh, to do. Um, totally so again, agree. you've come up with a solution, aren't you, before you actually worked out what the issue well, is. Well, and, and the question, you know, I want to put in a mentoring thing. Why? Yeah. What's the business issue? Are you not retaining talent? And so you're losing and mentoring is going to retain talent. So you'll be successful. Are your next generation people not creating new ideas and you need mentoring? Help me understand what's the business outcome 
And then let's look at the alternatives. Anyway, I think we're saying the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that confidence comes when we're willing to step a little bit into the unknown. I, I don't watch many movies. There's a movie that people may have seen, Indiana Jones. And if you remember Indiana Jones walking across that cavern, not knowing the next step, I think in some ways there's a metaphor I love. And, and I don't know about your family history. My family has in the United States pioneers. What did a pioneer do? They moved from one place to another, not knowing where they were going. They had a direction, not a destination. I'm going west. I'm going east. Refugees coming into the UK, they don't know what they're going to do. I'm going to a place where I can meet my needs. And they took the first step. They took the next step. And I think sometimes we need that pioneer spirit of direction, not destination. I'm going to move to the UK. Here's my address. Here's my job. No, I'm a pioneer. I'm going to do this and I'm going to move. I think that's where we gain some of that confidence by, by experimenting, pioneering. Absolutely. So you have the confidence, you ask the questions, you don't, don't put pressure on yourself to know all the answers. It's okay to ask those questions. Um, and that is assuming you've got the, the ear of, of people or you manage to get to the level, I suppose, where you can earn that credibility, where you go and make the time, even if you're in a standalone role and you're not necessarily sitting on the top team, you can still go and book meetings with the heads of department and things like that to show you're genuinely interested to understand their business, can't you? So those are tangible things that you can do. Uh, so one of the other things I, I wonder about those, because I often see that HR professionals, particularly this year in COVID, have been so dragged into the transactional stuff because they've been put on the back foot in terms of they've had to go in. So it's quite hard, I think, if you are in a standalone role where you've got to be both strategic, but actually they, they rely on you to make sure people get paid as well. And, and there's lots of transactional challenges. Um, I don't think no, I don't think there's a silver bullet for that. But I wonder, have you got any tips for people in that sort of position as to how they can you know, right. and uh, our, we just did some research in this guidance system, and I hope people will go on LinkedIn, they can find some posts on it. It surprised me. One of the things we found that creates outcomes for the employee customer strategy, all those outcomes, you got to do the basics well. You got, yes, people do have to be paid. They have to be paid fairly and on time. Uh, benefits has to be managed. And now I think in the HR space, we're finding increasing technology to do that whether it's the big firms, it's SAP, it's, it's Oracle, it's Workday or small firms, as much of that as we can get done through technology, do it. Even in a small firm, you can access some of those solutions through technology. Yes, because there is a tendency to do paper. And, and therefore, the challenge you've got, and this also frustrates me, is that um, I'm in this space, is that HR is the real poor relation in terms of technology. I think you know, this is ridiculous. You're using spreadsheets and paper for something which affects every person in the business. Does finance, would finance be doing paper um, or Excel? You know, would sales be doing paper? And that some of that is about our ability to make the business case, but our ability, therefore, to demonstrate credibility and make connections with you what know, the business me, impact is. Let me give is. you a very quick, simple tip to your listeners. Most listeners are within an hour or 30 minutes from a reasonably good university. Go to the university, go to faculty teaching HR or technology and say, could you put a team of students on this? Could we have a summer intern? Could we do a class project? You don't have to hire the consulting projects that are hundreds of thousands of, of quid. Let's put a team of students on it. Get it. We don't have to be perfect. Um, I think there's ways to get, we've got to get the technology in. I mean, yeah. to me, it's a foundation. It's kind of like knowing the language of the business when somebody says, whoa, our, uh, 
our price earnings ratio is 20% below our competitors for the last two years. And the HR person goes, eh, I don't know. Well, holy crock, that's a major problem. You can't continue to do a business that way. You got to get technology. Yeah. So go get it. And there's ways to get it more cheaply. Uh, uh, accessing students at a local university, going, forming a coalition, going to associations. If you're part of uh, CIPD, if you're yeah. part of other networks, you can access technology. Get it done. Get the data. But don't obsess about it. Now, the final thing I got to say on this one, our research found that the most successful HR professionals, standalone big companies, navigate paradox. What does paradox mean? It means you got to do two things at the same time. Yes, you've got to care about administrative stuff and you've got to be strategic. How do I do that? You navigate it. Yes, I've got to care about the individual. We started emotion, empathy, experience, compassion, and I've got to succeed in the marketplace. Navigating paradox means you work between those two guardrails. If you live on one and not the other, you'll fail on both. If all I'm doing is caring about the employee, but I never talk about business success, I'm not going to be successful over time. If all I do is care about the business and I could care less about the people, I'm not going to be successful either. So as HR people navigate paradox, live in that world of duality, be able to say, wow, this week we have focused so much on people that we've missed a little bit the business. We've so, because so much top down that we haven't done bottom up. We focus so much on technology that we haven't done strategy and try to make sure that in my world, I can live with that paradox and help other people accept it as well. And I think to, to do that, um, you've definitely got to have that overall purpose, be able to stop and look up your, your big rocks, your covey type quadrant two, be aware of the fact you've been dragged into the urgent type stuff and, 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 and to stay, take that step back and think about working on the HR piece as opposed to in, in it as well, isn't it? To have that yeah. awareness. Now, I'm very conscious of your time, Dave, in terms now, one, of things. One other tip, one other tip. When I'm told to do the administrative stuff, and it's got to be done, we do yeah. have to pay people. If I could put two words behind what you're asked to do, so that, so that. I'm paying people so that we communicate to our employees what matters in this company so that we deliver our strategy, so that we succeed with customers. Those two words will move me from a more operational activity to a bit more strategic and then outside in. I love the so that. It, it, people come to our program at the University of Michigan and say, what do, you, what do you want to come? I want to learn about culture. So that what? So that we can implement our strategy. So that what? So that our customers buy more from us. Got it. Now you've taken the administrative work and you've moved it to a more strategic and business level. That's a it's, tip. Do you know that is actually very much um, features and benefits sales, like which means that it's the same model. And actually that is what you'd need to do as an internal HR professional in terms of helping let's pick on the finance director again, you know, who's really only bothered about the spreadsheet to help them understand that if I invest in this um, development program, the succession planning development here, what this means is that we'll be able to do X, Y, Z, which means that we'll spend less money on, on recruitment. So so that it's kind of that it's joining up the dots for people who don't I, see I, it, isn't it? Boy, we could have a long conversation. Let me tell you where I think this is going to, where I think I'm going to go in 2021. Let's quit doing best practice. Let's quit doing best practice. I don't care what someone else is doing. 
What I care about is what am I doing to help my companies succeed in the marketplace? I think the field of HR has been enamored with the fads and the best practice. Here's the latest silver bullet. Go do no performance appraisal system. No, go do experience-based learning. Good. I don't want to copy someone else. I want to help my business succeed in its marketplace. And so one of the things I think I'm going to be focused on increasingly is let's not go after best practice. Let's go after our practice that will help, will get guidance at rbl.ai site that will guide us to success in our market. Um, I don't want to copy somebody else uh, because I wear a coat and tie. So, you know, I'm wearing this because my mentor wore No, I'm going to wear what makes me feel comfortable and works for me. So that's a, that's a passion I hope we have in HR going forward. Yeah, rather than follow the latest fad, is, is that fad the right thing for your business? And I suppose then just tying this together in terms of, because obviously, you know, you, you've written loads of books, there's lots of, you, you could be someone who has demonstrated best practice and we're saying, you know, you, you've sort of gathered evidence to say this has worked in lots of businesses. I suppose what you're talking about now, I'm, I'm, think I'm reading between the lines when we were talking about your matrix piece and you have to tell us what that's called to look it up that's more of a diagnostic isn't it so it's more about rather than saying let's do a scorecard because that's the answer for everybody or um you know HR business part model because that's the right thing for everybody what you're saying is what does your business need now diagnose it absolutely yeah so here's a, here's a case Lucinda guess what you just won the lottery with 50 million pounds Woo! By the Great. way, we won't ask, are you going to keep working or not? But we don't <laughs> so what's the question? Where do I invest? Where do I invest? Should I go to stock? Should I go to bonds? Should I go to commodities? Should I go to real estate? Should I go to art? Should I do collectibles? Guess what finance people do? They sit down, they say, what is it you want? Well, I want to get multiple generations successful. I want to get this return. Here's guidance with an investment portfolio of where you should invest to get the outcome you want. That's HR. We have found companies spend about 1% of their revenue on talent, leadership, organization, rows. Talent, leadership, organization, HR. Where should I invest that? That's what, it's called Organization Guidance System, OGS, Organization yeah. Guidance System. That's what we want to give you. And it's free. It's free. Go yeah. online. You got to, well, it costs 12 minutes. By the way, that's a small price. That is a small uh, price. In so the you, time you, we've done this interview, you could have done all the surveys. And I'll, be on, I'll be off with it. So we'll, you'll, well, when we come offline, you, well, you, do you want to read out the URL if you know it now? But I'll put it in the show notes so people can grab RBL. it. rbl.ai. RBL.ai. Brilliant. Brilliant. Your really business. Easy. That's fantastic. Um, Dave, I could actually chat to you all afternoon, um, and, but clearly I, I wouldn't be so rude. I'm very, very grateful for your time. It's been wonderful to meet you and, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the HR Uprising. You know, let me give you a final message for the HR Uprising and for obviously you've modeled this. People have often said to me, what's the best year of your life? And you go back, oh, when I got married, when I had children, when my marriage ended for some, that's not so good. I think that's all wrong. Here's what I look at as you look at 2021 and the hundredth episode. The best year of your life is the next 12 months. The best is yet ahead. Boy, do I hope 2021 builds on 2020. I hope the best year of our lives is always what's next. That's I feel nice. that. I mean, I've been around a long time and the best is the next 12 months. I hope in HR, that's the attitude we are consumed with because it leads us to create and to learn and to grow. And the HR Uprising podcast is one of the tools that helps us do it. So Lucinda, thank you. Let me express my gratitude to you for the 
for the sacrifice you make to contribute to all of us having a better year ahead. Oh, let's hope we all do. And certainly looking forward makes the right, it feels like the right thing, doesn't it? Starting in a really positive way. So have a fantastic 2021, Dave. I think, yeah, absolutely. The best is yet to come. And, and I'm very, very grateful to you for joining us on this 100th episode. Thank you. So that was our 100th episode. I don't think I ever thought we were going to get this far. And having managed it this far, the question is, where do we go from here? And the reality is, I feel that we've put some great quality content out there. I really hope so. But I've always said I would only continue to do this while I could still do that. I think many of you know that I also run a business myself and it is busy. And putting out quality content weekly is something that can be you know, an ongoing challenge that finds being done late at night or early in the morning or at weekends. And I've said that I don't want to carry on doing this unless I can put quality out. So over the next few months, you might find that we're going to reduce the number of HR uprising podcasts that we put out here. Uh, The intention, I'm not going to stop altogether. I did consider that, you know, stop at 100, but there's still topics to cover. There's still people I want to bring on the podcast. But the intention is over the next few months, we're going to drop it to every other week so that we can really focus on quality content that you want to hear about. So if you want to partake in that, please let me know what quality content is to you so that when we put our podcasts out, you're ready for them, you're wanting to hear the topic. Do join the HR Uprising LinkedIn group so that we can gather your information, take part in our focus collaboration groups, and I will continue to do my best to put quality content out for you um, as long as you want to hear it. So thank you so much for getting us to 100 episodes. I look forward to getting to 100,000 downloads, which isn't too far away either, which would be the next milestone. Um, And please do stay well. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising, proudly brought to you by Actor Software, the joined up performance and talent management solution. You can access links to any of the information or resources mentioned in the show via the podcast page at www.hruprising.com. If you like what we do, please subscribe, tell your colleagues and leave a review. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising. 